0: Hello, hello, 6 a.m. run family, 6 a.m. runners, anyone running right now at 6 in the morning. If you're running and listening to this podcast, uh, I hope I am doing the same thing because obviously these are pre-recorded. So we are probably, I think now, in the double digits of podcast. I've been recording a lot, trying to look for really great guests for you. And when I found, I'm I'm not even going to waste time, I'm going to get right into who we have today. When I found this guest, I knew um, that this was a perfect match for our audience and our uh, community. She has a book which does detail some running, some physical fitness. I want to let you describe it, but I'm not even going to waste any time. Haley Shapley, please welcome to our 6am run podcast and please, please take it away and introduce yourself. Well,
1: thank you so much for having me. First of all, I rarely run at 6 (laughs) a.m., but I will say you'll often find me running at 10 p.m., so I feel like that's kind of the same thing just for night owls. And yes, I am a, a journalist and the author of Strong Like Her, a celebration of rule breakers, history makers, and unstoppable athletes. And it's a cultural history that looks at women and physical strength and how that's evolved throughout the years. So I start the book in ancient Greece and I go through detailing some of the stops along the way that are of particular interest to women. Uh, so there's the circus rings of the early 1900s, the sands of Muscle Beach in the 1930s, when women started to lift weights, the marathon races, of course, of the 1960s, when women first started to really push that distance, the weight rooms of the 1970s, um, when women started to pump iron like the guys and the running tracks in the soccer fields of today.
0: Wow. No. And what, if I may ask too, can we kind of, I never ask a woman her age or anything, but if we can kind of discuss, you and I just kind of talked a little bit in the pre-call, you know, this journey of 6 a.m. run started for me at 35 when my body started to decline. Can we kind of discuss your journey to get to the book, you know, your your past? What was the, you know, for me, like I say, I say that because that was my aha moment of, okay, I'm 35. My body's breaking down. People need a product. They need something, you know, this didn't exist. So I wanted to fill that void. Can we talk a little bit about your journey to the book? What did you go through? You know, was there your aha moment, your past, maybe something you did or your career or career change? Maybe was it, you know what I mean? Can we talk about how you got to this point where you are today? Kelly?
1: Yeah, of course. So, I grew up in the 80s and 90s being pretty active. I played a lot of sports. I enjoyed running. I ran track and field in in junior high. I played basketball. I was a swimmer. I was a tennis player. So, I did a lot of different things. But the one thing I never really did was strength train. Mm -hmm. I never wanted to be bigger. You know, I really always wanted to be smaller. I wanted to be faster and more agile and more powerful. But I never really considered lifting weights with any intensity, I guess. I did a little bit of it here and there, but not a lot of it. And so it was around 2014, 2015 when I started to strength train. And it really changed my ideas of what I was capable of and changed my ideas about sort of what I thought my body should look like. We get so many cultural messages about that. And, you know, of course, I mentioned growing up in the 80s and 90s, this is like the Jane Fonda era, aerobics, leotards, all of that, which is great. But it was very much focused on, you know, slimming. And so once I started to strength train, I noticed lots of other women seemed to be doing the same thing. And it felt like everywhere I looked, I was seeing women who were getting involved in powerlifting and CrossFit and American Ninja Warrior um, who were running you know, Spartan races and other obstacle course races that involve needing to have some strength to carry obstacles around and navigate um, monkey bars and, and climb ropes and all of that kind of thing. And so I wanted to know how that had evolved, because it felt like for the first time that I could remember, visible muscularity was kind of a cool thing. And so I started to read about the history of fitness and probably unsurprisingly, there wasn't a lot about women in those books. It was mostly about men and how fitness had evolved for them. And so once I discovered that, I knew that there had to be interesting stories of women who have been pushing their athletic potential since the beginning of time. So I really set out to uncover and tell those stories. And I've been a journalist for my entire career, but I was largely focused on travel and lifestyle and other topics before this. I did cover a lot of health, but this was my first book um, and first foray into a project this in-depth.
0: Yeah, I think, you know, it's so funny you mentioned that because I also, I feel like there was like, there is definitely a shift. I think before COVID, I think a lot of us, some of us have kind of shifted our gyms to now make home gyms. I do feel bad that a lot of gyms, even, you know, you see CrossFit and things like that. People are now using their own bars and their own equipment during the pandemic, you couldn't find really good or quality at low cost equipment even on Amazon right Right. but what i'm agreeing with you on you know i think i'm i'm very similar 80s 90s i make no mention i'm i'm 42 and i think there was there definitely was a shift of when i used to go to gym in college um, right here i'm from university of delaware and i just used this kind of this area as obviously my barometer but back in the late 90s i want to say i feel like it was every woman on an elliptical machine you know what I mean? And that yeah. was like what women did, right? Go to the gym, go to the elliptical. I do. It's funny that you're saying that because now I'm like, wow, like she's right. Like there are definitely now women are in the weight section, so to say, right? Like it's, and it's nothing you don't think. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't think twice when I see a woman lifting, you know, doing curls or, you know, right. doing a bench press or anything like that, you know, that, okay, let me ask you this when you think of running, you and I talked a little bit about this in our pre-call, when you think of running, when you think of lifting, for me, there's no question there's that aspect too of aggression that you get to release, right? I'm a father of two. I'm a husband. You know, I think what running does for me, it allows me to be a calmer, more in control of my emotion person so that I'm not yelling at the kids constantly because you know how and. If you mind me asking, do you have children? Or
1: I just have a cat child, or, but, so, but you know, but, no more frustrations but, at some.
0: Time. <laughs> no, sorry, and I apologize, but you know what I mean. Yeah, like it's like you know, constantly having kids, and, and I'll share this with you. Then it's like I feel like I'm constantly saying no, don't do this, put that down, do, you know. And I don't want to be that nag because I yeah. know I used to think my mom was in nag, right? <laughs> so, but yeah, so it's like so. What running does now? Let me so where I'm getting at. That was very long winded of getting there. Do you enjoy the weight lifting of just putting up as much weight as possible and using and focusing maybe any anger and aggression toward those heavy weights?
1: That's a good question. You know, I think fitness in general is a great release. Outland. It is so well studied in terms of being a stress reliever for people. You know, we know all of these positive benefits it brings to your health. And I think what people find with strength training is. There is so much power and just feeling like you can pick up something heavy and move it. And it's a different kind of power than you might get from other types of exercise. So I think that's something that women have been discovering in, say, the past decade is just what it feels like to have that raw power of doing something that you didn't think that you could do.
0: Yeah. No. and, And I think, too, what I like now is, again, using my kids as an example, my daughter plays basketball. Now I love, and I don't, when I grew up, this definitely wasn't a thing. There's, I feel like so many, you know, kids or same age individuals. I love that, you know, my daughter can go up to a boy her age and say, I'll play you in basketball. You know, she, that's her sport too. And she doesn't care. She might lose, but she'll do it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, when you're at the gym, I got to also assume what I'm loving that you're possibly saying. And I hope my audience gets from this. I had a previous guest, and the audience will hear this on an earlier episode, so they'll have heard this when your episode airs. There's always things that you do because you're nervous about how it looks. Did you have to break a barrier in your mind of what does a woman lifting a heavy weight kind of look to to your surroundings of sorts? Was it more like, I got to stop. I don't care what you think about me. If you watch me lift this heavy weights or lift weights or go do what... You know, theoretically, predominantly men just do. Was there any kind of stigma that you just had to kind of get over so you didn't care what other people think?
1: You know, I think personally, I wasn't too concerned about what other people think, but I do think I needed that foundation of just knowing how to do the lifts and knowing the proper form so that I could feel comfortable going into the gym and. Right. Um, and, you know, yeah, picking up the barbell and, and using the weights in, in the appropriate way. And so now I feel totally comfortable walking into a gym because I usually have a plan. I know what I'm going to do. I know how to do it. But it can be a really intimidating environment, particularly if you don't see anybody who looks like you in that environment. Right. And so you mentioned earlier that now you see someone, a woman bench pressing, and you don't think anything of it. And I feel the same, but I remember when I was in college and, and slightly after I had a friend who suggested to me that I start doing Olympic weightlifting. And I thought that that was the craziest suggestion ever because it was the era of ellipticals and, you know, the treadmill and some group fitness classes, which I love. I'm a group fitness instructor as well. And I enjoy that sort of like group environment of working out Mm. together. But it's interesting to me that I didn't think that that was something for me at the time. And then not very many years later, I absolutely was like, yes, this is something for me and something that I really enjoy doing. So I think we've had that shift pretty quickly, which I just think is interesting to look at from a cultural perspective.
0: You mentioned something that for me, I miss, and it's my wife will tell you, I tell this all the time in college, I don't lift as much as I used to. I think running, that's what I'd rather do. And and again, you and I talked again about this, what I do miss when I run, um, because I'm running a long distance, almost seven days a week, I'm in no condition to speak while I run. That's me Mm -hmm. personally. Some people can do it. I'm actually jealous of people that can run and talk at the same time. And there are a lot of very good runners that can do that. Yeah what i miss when i was in college my kind of peak of i i did a lot of more strength training when i was in college played like i said college soccer so we needed to do it i didn't want i couldn't coach didn't want me getting bounced around by the seniors and people that were bigger than me right? right so what i love and i miss though is my and maybe if he's still listening we haven't spoken since college i had a buddy mark that was mark and i because you needed a spotter right what i loved about the weightlifting aspect that i don't get now Mark and I made sure our schedules, our classes, everything matched so we could go to the gym at the same time every day. And then I look back on it women problems, class problems. Like we just, that was an hour or two that like we just spent time together as friends. He spotted me because, you know, again, weights can be very dangerous, right? So, what I don't think running does, because running can be very introverted at times if you're going to go out and run on your own. I do miss that. You mentioned CrossFit, the competition aspect, a little bit of some CrossFit classes do. Do you want to maybe speak a little to that and the camaraderie that I think lifting weights brings that some other exercises really don't?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I think running can bring a lot of camaraderie when you think about all the running clubs that are out there. And I actually trained for a race once with a friend, and we did something very similar. We synced our schedules for an entire summer and we just had a blast. So I think you can get camaraderie through any kind of fitness activity. But there is something about strength training that I think is really conducive to that. And I talk about that in Strong Like Her with the era of Muscle Beach, which came about in the 1930s was very popular in the 40s um, and then kind of fizzled out in the 50s. But the reason that Muscle Beach was so successful, and this was a bunch of mostly men, but there was a small group of women who were quite influential, going out on the beach every day. They were doing these wild tricks with barbells. They were doing adagio, which is when you have a partner and, and you're doing these different acrobatic tricks. They were making human pyramids, giant human pyramids. They were really strong and people started to come from all around to see what they were doing. This is the era, right, of the Great Depression and then going into World War II. And so it's kind of bleak um, in the U.S. at the time and and really around the world. And this group of people kind of gave others hope and they were sort of, you know, working out for the fun of it was not a popular thing at the time. Fitness as we know it, even jogging, was not something people really did until the 60s, you know, just for exercise and health purposes. So they were kind of unusual. They were really forerunners of modern physical culture. But the thing that they all said in their interviews um, when they talked about their remembrances of Muscle Beach was the community. Like, it wasn't easy what they were doing, but they all showed up every day for each other you know, they all supported each other. They had to have a lot of trust in order to catch each other in these tricks and to do these sort of dangerous things. And they never had a major injury um, because they just really built that community. It was a solid foundation. And that is sort of the kind of thing that you get from really pushing your limits with somebody else.
0: I think too. what personally, another episode, we talked about this, David Goggins I don't know if you're familiar with him what I think he's kind of crazy for with weights it's crazy again I'll get to where I'm at what I'm about to ask running i feel like is so much more mental like i can i can push myself cuz even if i've got to slow down my speed but i can stay in a jogging motion and finish the distance right but when i do do weights or when i do a push up or when i do something that's really pushing the muscles you do get in my opinion you get to a point of just muscle is just it's done Right. And yeah. I don't think there's other workouts or fitness classes as long as your cardio is okay, you know, you're fit, you can breathe right. Like you can do cardiovascular activity, even if you have to kind of bring it down a little bit. But I feel like you can continuously do that. Right. And we walk, people walk all day and people, things like that. You just, we were talking about speed walking earlier. Right. But what I like about weights is it's also something that, okay, if I can do 20 push ups today, that hopefully will strengthen me. I can do 25 tomorrow. But that 25 kind of might become the new limit, right? I like that. And I feel like running or any other cardio, as a matter of fact, is more just time. Whereas in lifting and strength training, you really can just see the strength building. Is that something? Am I wrong when I say that? Or what are your thoughts?
1: No, I think that's a good point. I mean, I think that running can be really mental too, though. I actually think they're just a little bit different. But you are right that with cardio, it's sort of like you can keep going, that you yeah. don't. I mean, you you can hit a wall, but in general, you can keep going, even if it's just a bit slower.
0: Personal question I have. And while sure. I have you on, I just, I, sometimes I, I'm obviously, we don't have other guests. We don't have our community on here. Why is it mentally, if you've also in your research and in your interviews, when I was in, co- in college, in high school, and I was lifting, I look back on it and, and my wife and I joke, I was like, I had no neck. Like I looked very different when I was in my like peak of like going to the gym and lifting every day why is it, is it a body dysmorphia? Why was it, and most people I, I knew at the time were going, you don't feel like you're getting bigger, but you are, but in your, I guess, cause you see yourself every day. Do you find people that you know or in your interviews with people, with women who are doing it or anything? Can you answer to me, why was it me personally even? Why do you never think you're getting bigger? You're getting stronger mentally. Why do you always feel like you look the same?
1: That's a really interesting question. And I kind of think that that might be related to you as a man, because I have heard that from other men who I know who are like, I'm not getting bigger. Why am I not getting bigger? And I'm like, you're clearly getting bigger. Look at your before and after pictures. Like with women, I think women are more attuned to getting bigger because it's not something that culturally has been encouraged. So I think women notice when they're getting bigger much more easily. And it's more about they might not notice that their body shape is changing, um, you know, that they're losing fat and gaining muscle, that kind of thing. But I think, you know, the getting bigger thing is more related to men. But I think it is what you said. When you see yourself every day, sometimes it is hard to see those changes from day to day.
0: One thing I wanted to ask you, too, in your journey of the book, um, if you can, I would definitely want to talk a little bit more about the book. What were some of the most just mind-blowing things, maybe the book like you heard or talked about. And then I want to get into after that, if you can, well, let's start there. What were some of the things in the interviews? What I love about what you're saying, we've had a couple of authors on before. I love your, you went out and interviewed people. This is not just your kind of take on it, right? It seems like the book. And again, I hope we can talk after this so I can get a copy or tell me where to go. The interviews you did, who stands out? What surprised you or what did you learn the most from, from who, if you can maybe get into that a little bit?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I did interview more than 40 people for this book. So it is quite, um, I interviewed quite a lot of people and just the number of academic, um, and other resources I consulted is off the charts. The bibliography in the back is a goldmine for anyone who's really interested in geeking out on that kind of thing. I think one thing that surprised me, sort of, and this probably won't surprise runners who know a little bit about history, is that people believed until quite recently that a woman's uterus could fall out if she ran a long distance. Okay. And that is not something that typically happens, but it was still something trotted out up until into the 60s, 70s as reasons why women should not do anything where they're overly exerting themselves. So I found that to be surprising that it lasted that long. It was an idea that first kind of came about in the 1800s in the medical community over in Europe and then, of course, we see like the wandering womb idea that goes all the way back to ancient times. So it's, I guess, something that's been around forever, but something that still people, a lot of people really believed. Do
0: you think a lot of that has to do, I feel like this generation doesn't have the wives' tales we used to have. Does that make
1: sense? Mm, yeah, I think some of those are getting busted for sure. I,
0: I think because this generation has Google, has YouTube, has <laughs> Access to information. My parents are Persian. Uh, There's a Persian myth. If you, uh, it's, I've still, by the way, because it's so bad, I still follow it. But there's a Persian myth that if you cut your nails at night, you will lose someone close to you. Mm -hmm. Like, you know what I mean? So it's like, it's just wives, but like, and obviously, the smart me knows that that's not true. But the fact that that was embedded to me when I was a kid, I still make sure to cut my nails during the day sometimes. Maybe like right out of the shower after, you know what I mean? No, but like Yeah, it's, like,
1: it's hard to, to decouple ourselves from those messages that we got when we were young, even when we know that they are wrong. wrong yeah. And that's a lot of what the book is about. But yes, yeah, sorry, go ahead. No,
0: that's, so in those interviews, you talked about that. I want to know too, because with your book, Was there a criteria of someone like a a mold of people who have been there before that you were looking for, for, you know, your barometer of, of of a not a guest, but of an interviewee of someone that you could, you know, really talk to?
1: Not really in that way. So I'll just explain a little bit about the book. It has portraits in it of 23 modern day athletes. And every athlete is from a different sport. So I do have an ultra marathon runner in there named Robin Arzan. People might also know her as a Peloton instructor. She's a rock star instructor for them. Okay. And what I was looking for for those women were just a diverse collection of women of all ethnicities, body types, athletic disciplines, and just really wanted to tell a wide range of stories there. For the historical aspects, I was just looking for people who you know, who had a story to tell that tied into one of the themes that I was exploring in the book. And so one of my favorite historic interviews was with Catherine Switzer. And she was the first woman to officially enter the Boston Marathon, um, mm-hmm. which she did in 1967. Bobby Gibbs had run it before her, but without a number on, you know, just right. unofficially. And so- By the
0: way, I think she just did the, she recently did it again, right? She was like the one of the oldest I think if correct me if I'm wrong and I think, yeah, I think it was a few years
1: ago now. But she just
0: went back and did it again, right?
1: She did, yes. And she did so so after she did that first race, for people who don't know, it was um she was about four miles in when race organizers spotted a woman in the race and started to kind of run after her. There's a famous
0: picture, right?
1: Off the course, yes, and that is reprinted in Strong Like Her. It's an iconic series of photos of yeah. Jock Semple coming after Catherine. He was unsuccessful because Catherine had a 235 pound throwing boyfriend, you know, who was a competitive thrower in track and field who kind of body checked jock. And then they're worried that he's hurt. And like, so Catherine has all this stuff going on while she's just trying to run her first marathon. And she thought about quitting because. Uh, she was embarrassed. She was scared. Bit, yeah. You know, there was a lot going on. But she decided that she needed to finish. She needed to show that this was something that women could do. Because even those closest to her, even her training partner, did not think a woman could complete a marathon, until Catherine proved it to him in their training runs. They actually went beyond the the marathon distance. And so, after that, she wasn't trying to make a statement. She was just trying to run the marathon. And Then she kind of took up that mantle of getting women the ability to run in these races. And she was instrumental in getting the marathon added for women to the Olympics, which happened in 1984. And women then were able to officially run in the Boston Marathon in 1972. She organized races for women around the world and still to this day works to get access for girls and women. Who aren't able to participate in fitness activities, you know, the ability to try those things out. So she's done so much for women in sports and in fitness. Uh, so it's just a thrill to have the chance to talk to her.
0: One of my final questions is also to what I feel like, in, in all aspects, any kind of training, no matter what kind of Physical fitness—you want to do? There is trainers, nutritionists. There's so many people that you know are hired help to help people. In this book, or even in your journey yourself, can you? One of the things I, I hear all the time in our community are people who want to know what to ask. For example, are we not even just a, a personal trainer, a running coach. In your book, do you touch on? signs or questions to ask you know when you're asking to seek a professional advice was that something you've ever dealt with or saw my last question is that i know a lot of people continuously talk about you know advice on finding that running coach that personal trainer that's going to get them to that goal we all have different goals you know in this space right but can i ask that last question of you know finding that hired help and what to ask what to look for was that part of this journey for you as well did you discover you know, who are training, who's, you know, at who's and then vice versa, asking the right questions and getting people to their goals. Is that at all mentioned? Is that something part of this or not yet?
1: So that's something that I've covered sort of as a journalist um, in other places. The book is not sort of a how-to book. It's not going to okay. tell you how to run, how to lift, how to do any of these things. but it's going to tell you why it's important that people are able to do those things. Okay. You know, what is the history? How did we get here? Why would you want to do those things? I think about um, Robin, who I mentioned, she had a really traumatic experience happen. She had never been athletic up until that point, And she was in college and she was in a bar that got held up at gunpoint. And she started to run after that. And she said, she told me it was through running where she discovered her ability to transform and tell her own story. And it was that inner confidence from enduring a tough run. That was the most valuable thing she discovered. So the book is more about those kind of broader messages. But if you are looking for a coach, I think it's so tricky because there are a lot of different, so many people out there, so many different ideas it's important to remember that fitness and nutrition research is really in its infancy when you think about other sciences. Mm-hmm. So we have been studying other things for so much longer, that there's a lot that we don't know about, oh. about all of these things. And so I, I think when you're looking for someone, you just have to find someone who vibes with yeah. you and, you know, we could do a whole podcast episode probably about that, but I would say just look for someone who you feel like you can connect with and trust. Well,
0: well that, and I, I joke, I say, you know, I never forget a few years ago, there's, there's a pizza diet. There's a chocolate chip cookie diet, right? I feel like if you truly want to find something that's for you, quote unquote, in this day and age, we just talked about the kids having more information at their fingertips. I feel like if you want something to be for you, you can find a way or there's some kind of article where someone says, yeah, go ahead, eat chocolate chip cookies. You know, I just, I facetiously say that I want to say too, I really, I am so sorry. We, I was really excited to have you on the podcast and your message. I knew from your bio was something that, and, and it was by the way, Haley, this was very informative please, two things. One, so I can put in the description, send me everything so people can contact you. People can go look at the book. Is it audiobook, Amazon? Where can they find it?
1: Yeah, it's available wherever books are sold. Um, It's in hardcover and audiobook and ebook. So whatever your preferred format is, it's
0: available. Awesome. No, and that, and I apologize. That's what I'm saying. And I wanted to apologize to you. We kind of put this together. You were so gracious to come on in less than a week's notice. So thank you so much. Next time, I'd love to have you back on maybe like summertime or spring. And I have then read it. So I don't maybe ask any kind of like off questions. So I do apologize if I did. but. Oh.
1: I don't expect everyone to read it before they talk to me. I have interviewed many authors for stories and not had a chance to read their book. So it's no No. problem. But I I don't want to, you know, I want people to know that it's not a how-to book um, because a lot of people do think I'm going to tell them how to start lifting weights, which is just not what this book
0: does. No, but I think your book, and, and again, correct me if I'm wrong, I still think what your book does is... There's what I love about this day and age, and I think your book does. It's just there's an aspect of motivation though that that does happen. There's no how to, but you know, especially for women, I feel like. You know, again, being a father of two women, you know, my daughter playing basketball, I want her to know, you know, she doesn't have to be a certain thing. She can be whatever she wants to be, you know? So I'll say one last thing on my end. I joke with my daughter having two daughters and me being an only child. I'm like, when you get married, you got to make sure our last name, you know, lives on. I I joke with her, right? Because I'm like, I don't have a son, right? Mm -hmm. So I think that I got that, you know, you kind of, again, your stories that are in there are women that trailblazed. So that right there is still motivation for some people that are just questioning a little bit. Should I? Shouldn't I? I think they would read something like your book or listen to you and be like, all right, now there's no holding me back if, if I'm right on that.
1: Yeah, definitely. So many of the reviews mentioned that they felt super motivated after reading it. It got them back in the gym or got them to a gym or they're they're listening to it while running or whatever. So it definitely accompanies fitness really well in in that motivating way.
0: Awesome. Haley, thank you so much. Uh, like I said, please, do you have any website or blog or anything we can also share real quick before we hang up?
1: Sure. My website is HaleyShapley.com. So pretty okay. simple. And I'm on Instagram as well at Haley Shapley.
0: Awesome. Yeah. We'll, and by the way, guys, we'll put all that in the bio. We'll again, put links and everything, all the links, Haley, I'm sure will provide me after this. We'll put in there. So Haley, again, thank you so much for your time, everyone, anyone just completing a run, anyone just listening to this. I hope you guys kill and crush your day. This is Hami and Haley signing off from 6AM Runs Podcast. Thank you, Haley, so much. Thank you, everyone.
1: Thank you.